worship. Ephesians chapter number 6, gospel truth that leads to gospel living. We started in chapter 5 and verse number 21, talking about how that we are to live out the gospel in our relationships. And we began with the relationship of marriage. We talked to the husbands, then we talked to the wives. Today we're going to stay inside of the home, but we're going to talk about living out the gospel in our parent-child relationships. Man, I can remember on, on December 28, 2010, Jenny and I entered into this parent-child relationship. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I think I always will. It'll always be vivid in my mind. I, I couldn't have predicted the amount of joy and, and the amount of emotion that I would feel the day that we actually took Kevin home and it sunk in that this little guy was our responsibility. It was awesome. I think the parent-child relationship for me has been simultaneously the most rewarding and the most challenging relationship of my life. I say rewarding because there's nothing like the feeling of hearing your son say his first word. Dada. <laughs> or take his first step. Or go to his first day of school or make his first basket or score his first goal or throw his first pitch or... In our case, there's nothing sweeter than seeing your son call upon Christ to be his personal savior. And then I got to baptize him. And that meant that just those are the rewarding parts of being a parent. But there's a challenging dynamic to that relationship as every stage of, of childhood brings new challenges. Growing pains that we have to work through. Moments of disobedience and disrespect that we have to address carefully and and really no season seems to ever be the same. There are different levels of parent-child relationships represented in our auditorium today. There, there are those who ch whose children are in the nursery today. There may be somebody whose children is in your belly today. child is in your belly today. Uh, there are some, your, 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 your child is in the intermediate stage, that fourth, fifth, and sixth grade stage where... They, they have no idea what a toothbrush is or a shower or soap or anything like that. Um, there's some that, that are in that, that dreaded stage where your child's in the beautiful teenage years between 13 and 18. My advice to you, as given by Mark Twain, is that you put them, when they turn 13, you put them in a box, put a hole in it. And when they're 18, you just let them out of the box. That's, that's my parenting advice for today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You think that's harsh? I was a youth pastor for 11 years. That's not harsh at all. That's a great idea. <laughs> the parent-child relationship, no matter what stage you're at, even if you have adult children, the parent-child relationship has the potential to bring the most joy into your home, while at the same time it has the potential to bring the most stress into your home. And it all depends on how the child conducts him or herself towards the parent and how the parent conducts him or herself towards the child. Listen, friend, it is a two-way relationship. Not everything inside of your home is your child's fault. And not everything in your home is your dad and mom's fault. This is a two-way relationship. And just like in marriage, for it to thrive, both have to be fulfilling their duty. Let's look at verses one through three to see the duty of the child. And then we'll talk about the duty of the parent. Children, Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. The duty of the child is to obey and honor their parents. The word obey in verse 1 comes really from a combination of two words, the word under and the word to listen. And so the word obey here literally means to listen under. Now, now young people, uh, the first half of the message is going to be directed towards you. So I want your eyeballs, I want you to sit up real straight, take notes if you have a paper and a pen and listen closely this morning. If children, that's you, if you're going to obey what your parents say, you first have to learn how to listen to your parents. That's why, why parents often respond to their child's behavior with this question. Did you hear what I said? Are you even listening to me? Because before you can obey, you have to first listen. That's where your obedience starts. Not with just doing what they say, with listening to what they have to say. Now, there are a lot of things, I thought through this, there are a lot of things that make listening to your mom and dad difficult. Number one would be distraction. Texting, playing a video game, <laughs> listening to music. When your parents listen to me or talking to you, give them your attention. Don't treat them like your little sibling that you can ignore. They're your God-given authority, so take out your headphones. Somebody say amen. Put your cell phone down. Adults, you too. Put pause on the video game, then look your mom and dad in the eye and listen to what they're saying. You don't get to be distracted when your God-given authority is talking to you. That's disobedient. Here's another thing that makes it hard. Rebellion. That's a hard attitude that defies authority. Rebellious children don't like to be told what to do. Listen, if you struggle to listen to your parents or you struggle to listen to them with a good attitude, that is a good sign that you have a rebellious heart on the inside. Here's another difficulty. You crave independence. See, something happens in the teenage brain that I've yet to figure out. And it's this thought that enters into your brain around age 13 that thinks that you know everything there is to know and your parents are absolutely clueless about life. That thought stems from a natural desire to be independent, to make your own choices, to have some freedom, to be your own person. Now, that desire isn't completely bad, but, but you know it's getting out of hand if when your parents are talking to you, you're totally zoning out or rolling your eyes or couldn't care less because you think what they're saying is stupid. Here's another reason why it's challenging. Your parents are imperfect. Can I get one teenager to say amen to that? All right, we get one that's courageous. Your parents must not be in the building today. You know, sometimes it's hard to listen to your parents tell you to do something that they maybe don't do themselves. Sometimes it's hard to listen to them when they tell you to quit fighting with your brother and your sister when you hear them fighting with each other constantly. Sometimes it's hard to listen to them tell you to stop getting angry and raising your voice at them when they seem to always raise their voice at you to get your attention. It's hard to listen to them tell you to be positive when they are always negative. And that's fair. That makes it challenging. Parents are imperfect people. But listen to me closely. Your obedience, your obedience to them and your willingness to listen to them cannot be motivated by their behavior towards you. It must be motivated by your desire to please God through listening to them. That's why the verse says, children, obey your parents in the 
Lord. When you listen to your parents, even though they're less than perfect, you are serving the Lord. You're pleasing the Lord. But obedience doesn't stop with listening. Listening is only the first step. Obedience continues with action. I found out that many children are smart enough that, that they, they pretend like they're listening or else their, their disobedience seems way too obvious. So, so they'll pretend like they're listening, but they have no intent to do what their parents are saying. That's still disobedience. The truth is that every day you're faced with a choice. Am I going to do what my parents told me to do or not? This message is very simple. When it comes to what you listen to, are you going to listen to what mom told you to listen to or not? When it comes to who you hang out with, you're going to, you're going to hang out with who your parents say to hang out with or not? When it comes to who you text and, and, and when you text and what you do on social media and things you do with your cell phone, are you going to abide by your parents' guidelines or do things on your cell phone behind their back? When it comes to schoolwork, are you going to approach your grades and your homework and things that you do at school with the attitude and the discipline and the work ethic that mom and dad expect, or are you not going to do that? See, the reason why it's important, listen to me, young people, that you learn how to choose obedience in these normal everyday areas of life is because you are building the character right now to be obedient both to God and to other forms of authority that God puts in your life later. Your home is a boot camp. It's a training ground. One day you won't have parents demanding of you to make responsible and holy decisions. You will have the Holy Spirit leading you and God's word leading you. If you can't even listen to mom and dad right now on a consistent basis, you're surely not going to obey the still small voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you struggle with mom and dad's authority right now, what makes you think that you won't struggle with the authority of your employer one day or law enforcement one day? Or the government one day. The reason why many teenagers get into trouble as adults, whether that be the fact that they can't hold down a job or, or, or the fact that they get in trouble with the law, they won't pay their taxes, get in trouble with the government, is because they never learned how to listen and obey their parents while they were at home. But notice Paul doesn't stop with just obedience to parents. He uses that next word and it's honor. And so this completes your duty, obedience and honor. Obedience is action. Honor is attitude. Obedience is doing what your parents say. Honor is doing what they say with the right spirit. The word honor simply means respect. And listen to me, this is where the children in our society have really declined through the years. A lot of children's attitudes from kids my son's age all the way through college, a lot of attitudes are just straight up awful dishonorable. I mean, it's amazing how little you hear a child or a teenager say simple, respectful terms like please and thank you and you're welcome. And yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. And what can I do to help? And let me get that door for you. And I'm sorry for hurting you. Why is that? Well, I think there's a lot of possible reasons, but here's where it starts at home. Children are being allowed to disrespect their parents at home. Children today are getting away with things that their parents and grandparents would have been disciplined for. What parents are calling cute today, what parents are calling just a phase today, is what their parents called a sin three decades ago. Whenever people complain about today's generation, here's what I'm quick to remind them of. Somebody had to raise them. Every generation, including the millennials and Generation Z that make you all mad, they had parents and you were some of them. And parents play a big role in their child's attitude based on what they allow or what they don't allow inside of their home. Parents, demand respect from your child inside of your home. 
If you demand respect inside of your home, their teacher will get it in the classroom. Their coach will get it on the field. Their boss will get it at the workplace. Their youth pastor will get it at church. If you don't demand it at home, don't be shocked when disrespect shows up on their report card. If they can talk back to mom and they can talk back to dad, don't be surprised when you get a call from the principal saying they're talking back to me. Don't be surprised when they come home early from work and you say, what happened? Well, the boss made me mad. The truth is that kind of attitude is bred underneath our roof. Yeah. We all right? Young people, learn how to respect your parents at home. Learn how to do what they say with the right spirit. Why? God knows your heart. You can, you can passively comply on the outside and God knows on the inside if you are honoring them or not. And let me say this when it comes to honor. Watch young people. Listen, this is a burden of mine. I've seen a lot of young people that will indeed honor their teachers. Indeed will honor their coaches, their boss at work, their friends, parents, but yet totally disrespect their own mom and dad. That makes no sense to me. You disrespect the very people in your life that love you the most and provide for you the most. I've seen some teenagers that are heroes at school and heroes on their team and heroes at work and heroes with their friends, but they're villains at home. You'll talk with your teachers, you'll interact with your coaches, you'll cut up with your buddies at school, you'll text your friends at 100 miles an hour, but when you come home, you won't say a single word to mom and dad. That shouldn't be. That's dishonorable and unpleasing to the Lord. Now, if obedience and honor sound challenging, and, and they are, then Paul gives you two reasons for why you should do it. Maybe, maybe I could say it this way. Two motivations for why you should do it. And, and here's the first motivation in verse 1. He says, because it's right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, that, that phrase, for this is right, at first, when I studied that, here's what I thought Paul was saying. Obey your parents. Why? Because I told you so. Just do it. So that's what I thought he was saying. I'm like, sweet. So that gives me like warrant when Kevin asked why to say, shut up, Ken, do what I say because I said so. I mean, that's like my translation of it. But that's actually not what it means. When you look at that phrase for this is right and you really study the bare bones of it, here's what it means. That your obedience and honor to your parents, watch here, is in accordance with natural law. In other words, you could say it this way. Children, obey your parents for it's natural. What does that mean? It means this, that obedience to parents is actually ordinary and normal in our society at large. It's considered right virtually everywhere in the world. It's that simple. In fact, when the apostle writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 1, and he starts giving them a list of things that some of the people in Rome started doing that were unnatural, things like hating God, he said that was unnatural. Homosexuality, he said in Romans 1, was unnatural. Murdering others, he said, was unnatural. Do you know what else he gives in the list of unnatural things? Disobedience to parents. 
Here's what I'm trying to say. God's expectation for you to obey and respect your parents is not out of the ordinary. It's a very normal and natural way of life. That means that you shouldn't think that you have it so bad and your parents are so mean and your parents expect so much and your parents aren't like any other parents. That's not true. Virtually every parent shares the same expectation of their children and that is to obey and honor. It's the normal thing to do. If you don't obey and honor your parents, you are weird. Like you, you are bucking against the natural order of society. But the second reason is a bit more positive. It's because God promises to bless you if you do. This is a great promise. Look at verse 2 and 3. Honor thy father and mother. Why? Which is the first commandment with promise. What's the promise? That it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. So Paul goes back to the fifth commandment in Exodus 20. And he repeats it to show that it's the first commandment, not the only, but the first commandment that God gave to his people with a promise connected to it. What did the promise involve? Two things, quality of life and quantity of life. You'll live good and you'll live long. Now, I realize that there are exceptions to this because there are children who die early uh, due to an accident or a disease, and yet they were obedient and honorable kids at large. So, so there are exceptions according to God's sovereignty and will. But Paul is speaking generally. And he said, generally speaking, watch here, it is true that those who obey and honor their parents live better and they live longer. Now, that Generally speaking, it's just common sense for a couple of reasons. Number one, a child who obeys his parents will be regularly protected from harm's way. Meaning you'll be less likely to experience physical harm and trauma because you'll be listening to the protective advice of your parents. So when they tell you, look both ways before you cross the street, the reason why you're old enough to be in big church today is because for the first 13 years of your life, you look both ways before you cross the street. You obeyed your parents. Parents say, Number one, don't drink. Number two, don't drink and drive. You obey that, and you probably won't have a head-on collision because you're drunk. You might get hit by one, and God's will, I hope not. But you won't be the cause of that. Do you understand what I'm saying? A child who obeys his parents will be less likely, number two, to develop bad character traits and bad habits, but instead will develop good character traits and good habits, which will lead to a better life. At work, if you have good character, like work ethic and attitude and honesty and integrity, guess what? You're going to have a better work life. Now, I know there's some exceptions to that because some bosses are unreasonable and yada, yada, yada. But for the most part, if you develop good character traits because you are obeying on your parents and they teach you good habits, you are going to be more successful in life, more prosperous in life. You're going to have a better existence. In short, here's what I'm trying to say. It pays to obey and honor your parents. It's the blessed thing to do. It's the right and natural thing to do. Somebody say amen. Now let me make one more point before moving on to the parent's duty. And it's this. Obedience to parents eventually expires. But honor to parents never expires. When young people become adults and get married, they are, the Bible says, to leave their father and mother, be joined together with their spouse. That means they are no longer under the authority of their parents. They are free to make choices independent of their parents' wishes. However, a child should always respect their parents. 
you're an adult child in here like I am, we need to be very, very careful about how we treat our parents. Because there's no expiration date on that. That can be challenging sometimes as adult children because we can come to points of disagreement where, where, where through our life experience, though it's less than our parents, we've had enough life experience to maybe have a different opinion on, on child raising or politics or finances or a number of areas. Listen, we don't always have to do what they advise for us to do or agree with them at every point, but we don't need to be jerks and know-it-alls either. Just because I've lived 36 years doesn't mean I know more than my parents all of a sudden. I might have a different perspective. I don't have to agree with them. And I should think independently enough to maybe do disagree with them sometimes. But I believe that a healthy sense of respect ought to always be given to our parents, no matter how old we get. This also, I was talking to Miss Kay about this at the piano this morning as I looked out and saw her mother, Jerry Ashley. I see how, how, how well that, that, that Miss Knudsen uh, takes care of her mom even to this day. I commended her for that. And I said, I think that's a little bit of what, what, of what Paul had in mind too when he said, honor your parents, that, that there, there is this obligation on us as adult children to take care of our aged parents. I understand that situations, health, um, other things sometimes disallow us to be able to do that hands-on. But you should never totally disengage from the process. There's an honor given, if it, it, and I believe with all my heart, if you can, that you should take care. Hands on, you should take care of your parents, if you can. And, and the doctor's good with it, and they're good with it, and you're good with it, and it all works together. I believe that is a way to honor your aged parents. I mean, we plan to do that for my mom and dad. <laughs> take that off the recording, please. That was impulsive. I mean, me and Tiffany have this agreement that I'll buy their diapers, but Tiffany's going to change them. I got the spiritual gift of generosity. She got the spiritual gift of service. And so we're just using our gifts to the best of our abilities. So I will buy you the most comfortable diapers we can get, Mom. Well, I guess it just depends on how much I'm making at the time. You get what I'm saying? But, but we'll see. Uh, it's up to Tiff to, to do the dirty work. So I'm not real worried about my mom in that situation. I'm worried about my dad. <laughs> situation. I, you, I mean, if you've seen how many chips and salsa he eats and I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't want a part of that at all. So, I mean, it, in fact, I mean, if it comes to that, I'm getting the garden hose out. We ain't, we ain't, I'm, is, did I go too far right there? I'm just, I feel good about it. I'm all right. Man. All right, you ready to transition? Did I preach to the kids enough? All right, we got a few minutes left. Let's, let's look at the second half of the message, and that's to the parents. Look at verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The duty of parents is to raise their children for the Lord. I read a story about a young man in Bible college, he had to write a theological journal or dissertation on a topic of his own choosing. And the young kid chose parenting. He titled the paper when he originally wrote it, A Definitive Guide to Raising Children. He's pretty confident about it. A few years later, he decided to get married. After being married, he edited the original journal and renamed it this, Principles for Family Life. 
A few years later, he had a kid and decided to rename the journal again. Some thoughts on bringing up children. When his first child turned five years old, he reworked the journal entirely and he renamed it. Why children? (laughs) Fast forward to when he became the parent of a teenager. He threw away the original journal. He wrote an entirely new one in which he titled help. I'm falling apart. Here's the point. Nobody's an expert on parenting. The more we do it, the more we realize how much help we need with it. Thankfully, though, Paul gives some authoritative advice. It's not authoritative because it came from Paul. It came through Paul from God, who is the perfect parent. Verse 4 gives parents several pieces of advice when it comes to raising their kids. And notice that verse 4 is addressing fathers in particular. Now, I I had to study this. Because there are multiple opinions here about whether or not he was just talking to the fathers or if mothers are to be included here. Now, my opinion based on on my study of the Greek word he used for fathers is that he was actually referring to both parents with an emphasis on the fathers. The same Greek word is used in Hebrews 11, verse 23. It was translated in our English Bible as parents. So the word was interchangeable. So I think Paul is addressing both fathers and mothers here. Here's what I know. Fathers aren't excluded. They're emphasized. So the fathers are expected to take part in the raising of their children. Yet that's the opposite of what we see so often in the American home today. We see either absentee fathers or we see passive fathers. Mama does the discipline. Mama does the teaching. Mama does the training. Mama does playtime. Mama does prayer time. And that means mama still cleans the house and mama still cooks the meals and mama still dresses them for church and dresses them for school and takes them for school. All dad does is go to work and eat. Where are all the fathers? That's what I'm asking you. It's rhetorical, but it's a good, fair question. In our churches, not America at large, I'm talking in our churches, in Fellowship Baptist Church, when it comes to the training, the disciplining, the raising, the teaching, the spiritual leadership of your children, where is dad? Where is dad? My heart goes out to all the single moms in here today and some that might be watching online. They're not given the choice. They have to be both mom and dad, both nurturer and provider, both comforter and protector. If you're a single mom, I want you to know that this church is behind you. And I, for one, am praying for you. And I have seen it. Take this as encouragement. I've seen single moms raise really great godly kids. With God's help, it can happen. But Paul gives parents, I think jointly, some advice for how to raise their kids. And he starts with what not to do. He says, don't provoke your child to wrath. That that word provoke has a synonym that helps us understand what it means. And that's exasperate. In, In other words, Paul's teaching us as parents, don't do anything that will exasperate our children to the point where they are wrathful. Now, he's not talking about anger. He's not talking about a temper tantrum. He's saying, don't do something that will cause wrath. That's worse. That is an inward seething of resentment and irritation. There are quite a few things parents can do to get their kids to this point. And listen, parents, these aren't things that we do one time. We might do something one time and it makes them mad. Paul is thinking of something deeper. 
He's thinking of a pattern of behavior that we as parents develop towards our children that over the long course of time, many times in many days, exasperates them on the inside. But because they can't get away with disrespect and they can't get away with dishonor, they're not going to tell you. They might throw a temper tantrum, but you won't see their wrath until they're able to get away with it. And at that point, it'll be too late. This is something, watch parents, these are things, I'm going to mention four things that you can do over the long period of time where it might come out every once in a while in a temper tantrum. It might come out every once in a while in, in misbehavior. But over the course of time, it'll exasperate them to the point. They'll be inwardly seething to the point where at some point they will act out in such a way that is irreversible. Maybe even forfeit the relationship with you forever. What are, what are some of those things, a thousand things we can do as parents? But, but here's four. Here, here's one, unreasonableness. See, many parents have this pattern of behavior where they ask things beyond their child's capability or control. Or they load their child with more than they can handle. This leads to frustration over time. Listen, you have to learn how to deal with each of your children individually. Just because one of your children can handle a certain load and excels in a certain area of their life doesn't mean the other child will or even should. Yes, we ought to have high expectations for each child, but be careful to have reasonable expectations tailored to each child. Here's another one, fault finding. If your child hears what they're not doing right and that's all they hear, guess what? They'll start believing it. And it will foster a low sense of self-worth over time and even self-hate over time. You have to learn, mom and dad, how to praise your kids more than you find fault in your kids, even if that's not what your mom and dad did for you. If the only time you're having a meaningful conversation with them is after they've done something bad, then you're not having enough meaningful conversations with them. Here's a third one, neglect. Neglect can come in many forms. My mind goes, pay close attention, parents, to the situation with King David and his son Absalom. What, what happened? Absalom had a little brother named Amnon. Amnon became unnaturally attracted to his sister Tamar and he raped her. When Absalom heard of it, it made him mad, seething mad. He got angry, but instead of taking it into his own hands, he went to his father hoping that David would do something about it. But you can go read it. David was passive about it. He swept it under the rug. He cared more about his kingdom than he did his home. He neglected to deal with something that was truly bothering his son. That exasperated Absalom so much that over time he decided to take it in his own hands. He killed his own little brother, Amnon. He was exiled from his dad's kingdom. A couple years later, uh, Absalom came back and he couldn't get along with his dad. And he led a revolt to run his dad out of Jerusalem, off of his throne. And Absalom actually ended up dying because of it. All because David neglected dealing with something that bothered his son. Parents, you may not face the same exact situation as David did, but you will, you will face things that mean a lot to your kids and bother your kids deeply. And if you neglect those areas of their life, if you ignore that they exist, if you deny their reality, if you sweep those things under the rug, if you keep dodging the hard conversation, if you neglect to listen and love and lead them through those things that bother them, they will over time become provoked with anger on the inside and wrath on the inside. And it will come out because volcanoes always erupt. And it might point back to a series or a season of their life where you just wouldn't listen to them. And where they were always overreacting. And you called them a drama queen. And even though you, you could have led them through that and had to deal with that better and not be overcome and overwhelmed by that, it always starts with listening to them first. 
Not neglecting their needs. Here's the last one, inconsistency. Children are usually pretty forgiving with a parent's faults, but the older our kids get, the less forgiving they are. I'm figuring out that's true. I love Kevin to death, but he's starting to call out my faults, and I don't like that. I used to be able to dupe him. If he can figure out my faults this clearly when he's, is he 10 years old? He's 10? Almost 10. He'll be 10. When's his birthday? No, right. I know his birthday. I'm still working on how to be a father, but um, man, if he, if he can call them out this clearly, imagine how clear it's going to be in his eyes when he's 16. And when they turn 16, mom and dad, they no longer deem your inconsistencies as just imperfections. They deem them as absolute hypocrisy because teenagers are unforgiving people. Teenagers, that's not, that's, that, that, that's, that's not justification for you to hold things over your parents' head. That's just the truth of the matter. And, and if, you, if you are inconsistent over time, boy, it exasperates their spirit. How, how can you be inconsistent? Well, here's a couple of ways. Talking to them passively aggressively or with getting a tone that is intentionally intimidating or talking to them with anger, yet punishing them for talking that way to you or to others. That's inconsistent. Having one expectation for one kid but you had a totally different expectation for another kid in your home because maybe they're not your biological kid. You're going to provoke your children to wrath over time. If you discipline one day for certain bad behavior, but you let it go the next two days, and then you discipline again for it randomly the next week, but let it go the week after that, your child will come to resent your punishment because they don't know what it means. I only get punished when it gets on dad's nerves enough to do something about it. it being inconsistently present in your child's life. You're there part of the time and you're, not, you're nowhere to be found the next part of the time. I don't, care, I don't care what your job is. If you look back, 18 years of parenting, and you were gone more than you're present, that's not your job's fault. That's your fault, sir. It's your fault, ma'am. Well, you, you don't understand. I have shift work and, 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 and I get, I'm on call a lot. Here's what I want you to do. I challenge you to do this. Take a piece of paper and log every minute that you're not at work. And how much of your child's attention, how much of that gets your child's attention? How much of that time? Now, some of us have less than others. I get that. Some of our schedules are less predictable than others. I get that. But everybody has time when they're not at work. Here's the problem with this. As, as men in America, here's the problem with this. During our free time, we're not spending it with our kids. We're spending it on the golf course. We're spending it in the boat. We're spending it play softball. And then, and then we blame our absentee parenting on our schedule. No, I get some of you work more than others. I get that. I respect that. I honor that. I don't demean that. That's part of your life. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when you stand before God, you will not say this. Well, God, you know my hours. I had to work that. God's going to look at you and say, well, what about the time you sat on your couch for six hours and didn't pay a single attention to your kid? Are you with me? Oh, I know that stinks and that hurts. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. But some of these things, we, we just got to, we got to talk straightforward about these things. You know, this is a holy discontent in my heart as a pastor. It is a righteous indignation in my heart. Where, where, where I see too, too often that fathers 
or mothers or both are just inconsistently present. I'm not saying you got to be at every basketball game, every softball game. I'm not saying you got to be at every event of your child's. And if you're not, you're not a loving parent. I'm just saying when you're not working, they ought to be your priority. Yeah. After Paul tells parents what not to do, he tells them what to do. I know we're, we're tacking a lot today, but we'll close it with this last part of the verse. He says this, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, there are several layers to this. I already told you what not to do, but let's let's shift this to what to do. He says, here's the first layer, bring them up. Second layer, nurture. Third layer, admonition. When you put these three elements of parenting together and they're working in concert, it's amazing. Let me explain what they are. Bring them up refers to gentleness. The spirit. It's a very nurturing term. Well, not nurturing term. It's a term that they would use often to explain how a mother brings her infant child up, her suckling up in the New Testament days. Very gently, very tenderly. The word nurture is a stronger word. In the Greek, it refers to discipline. The word admonition is a practical word that refers to training, training and instructing the mind particularly. Put these together and here's what Paul's saying. Raising your kids for the Lord involves gentle discipline and training. Let's talk about that spirit of gentleness. Because you can discipline and train, but it's no good if you don't do it with the right spirit. Gentleness doesn't often come natural during times of discipline and training because it's not natural. It is a fruit of the spirit, meaning it's only a disposition you'll have as a parent when you are yielding and under the control of the spirit of God. But how often is the discipline and training of our kids just the opposite? We're often led by our flesh and we're impatient, we're irritated, we're angry, we're embarrassed and we're harsh. Listen, parents, if you have to yell to make your point, it's not the right time to make your point. If you have to yell. If you're disciplining because what your child did embarrassed you or wounded your pride, it's not time to discipline yet. What I'm trying to say is that anything other than gentleness in your approach of disciplining and training your kids is not of God. Now, follow me. That doesn't mean you can't be firmly gentle. You are the authority. You can have a stern and authoritative voice and be gentle all at the same time. But if you're being led by the flesh, the best thing to do is take a moment to pray or or, or to gain your composure or pass it off to to your spouse and come under the leadership of the Holy Spirit before you proceed. But at the same time, listen, don't let a gentle disposition fool you into thinking that somehow you're not under the obligation as a parent to discipline and train. Parents seem to take one or two extremes. They either harshly discipline and train their kids or they passively ignore both duties. You can discipline and train your kids consistently and gently at the same time. That's the spirit. Now let's talk about nurturing. That's discipline. It involves a number of things. Punishment like revoking privileges or taking away devices or limiting trust. And sometimes nurturing even involves physical discipline such as spanking, which is very biblical if done in the right way at the right time and on the right spot of the body. I don't have time to go and prove that biblically, but, but, but if you'll go home this afternoon and you struggle with that idea, you need to just go read the book of Proverbs. It says this over and over. It says, in fact, to spare the rods to hate your child. But our parenting is incomplete and ineffective if we stop at discipline. 
Because Paul says we also must admonish, admonish, which involves teaching. It involves training a better way. Listen, parent, if you don't have time to teach and train a better way before and after the punishment, then you're wasting your time and actually injuring your child's heart through that punishment. Listen, training should happen on the front end and the back end of discipline. You teach your expectations first and God's expectations first. And when you know they've understood those clearly and yet still chosen to disobey and dishonor, then you discipline in whatever way is appropriate. And by the way, spanking sometimes and a lot of times is not the most appropriate way. After you discipline, you appeal to their mind and heart again through admonishment and training. And it has to be a consistent cycle of, of parenting. You train, discipline, train, train, discipline, train. Yet a lot of parents leave out one or the other. For some, it's train, then their child disobeys, then they train, then their child disobeys, then they train, and it's always, don't make me count to three, one, two, there's no discipline. But for others, it's discipline, then your child disobeys, then it's you lay the rod on them again, then they disobey. Then you ground them, then they disobey, then you take your phone away, then they disobey, then you yell at them, then they disobey, then you slam a door, then you disobey, then you put them in a cardboard box, and that's a good idea. (laughs) Hey, listen, the parent that only trains but never disciplines is raising an entitled child who will eventually turn into an entitled teenager, who will eventually turn into an entitled adult who thinks there are no consequences for any bad choices. Their boss doesn't count to three. A police officer doesn't count to three. They need to learn what to do or to obey and honor like right away. But the parent that disciplines and never trains a better way is actually breeding rebellion and frustration in the heart of their child. And that rebellion will come out in severe ways the older they get. And if that parenting technique of discipline only is continued, the parent will lose their child's heart completely. And anytime they actually try to train, their child will tune them out. Here's the point. Follow Paul's advice, mom and dad. Stay balanced. Gently train and discipline your child. You won't always get it right. But with God's help, you can get it right most of the time. And you should most of the time. Why? It's your duty. It's your duty. Kent Hughes said this, and I'm done. What a fragile flower a child is. He or she can be so easily crushed by his parents, or he can be made to blossom beyond expectation, bringing untold joy to his parents and himself. Isn't that a great metaphor? Parents, when you nurture and admonish your child gently, here's what you're doing. You're watering them. And with God's help, they'll grow into something beautiful. But when you aren't getting that right most of the time, you're actually exasperating them. You're provoking them to wrath and you're actually slowly killing them from the inside out. There's a lot on the line is what I'm trying to say. The flower will either grow or it will die based on what you do inside of your home. As a parent, this intimidates me. I know a lot is writing on how I parent Kevin. And maybe after hearing this message, you're feeling the same way. As a parent, you're almost feeling overwhelmed with how weighty that responsibility is. And as a preacher, I kind of made it sound really easy and you know it's not. Maybe you're even feeling convicted because you haven't been doing that. 
Listen, don't miss this. This is where the gospel comes in. This is where the first three chapters of Ephesians comes in. Because you can't do it. That's why you are asked and told, commanded in chapter 3. Go read it. The end of chapter 3, you're commanded to pray a prayer for the, for the strengthening of the Spirit of God. And when you pray that prayer every day, mom and dad, and you yield to the Spirit's control, the Bible says he will do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think, even in your area of parenting. If you feel helpless, you feel like you've lost control, you feel overwhelmed, that's not entirely a bad place to be. Because that means you run to the cross. That means you run to the prayer closet. That means you run to, to the Spirit to ask for help. You see, what motivates us to do things inside of our home is what's already happened inside of our heart. I'm not asking you parents to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and go read four self-help books on parenting. I'm asking you to get in, alone with God every day and say, God, I can't do this. I need you. I don't want to provoke my kids to wrath. I want to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Can you help me? And children, if you feel like your, your duty and task of obeying and honoring your parents is difficult, then run back to the gospel. Jesus can help you with that. The times in which you want to scream back because you were screamed at. Jesus can help you. The Spirit can help you to obey and honor. The times in which your parents are imperfect, but they expect you to be perfect. The Spirit will help you to obey and honor. The times when you want to roll your eyes and slam your door. Throw your phone across the room. And belittle your mom or belittle your dad for just doing their best as your parent. Because they don't make any sense to you and they don't understand you and they don't want to listen to you and all that might be true. Then you need to pray in your heart, Spirit, give me strength. Because our parent-child relationships can be the most rewarding relationships if we'll do it right. And it takes both. It's been a longer message today. I had a lot to cover, but maybe in our response to it, mom and dad could grab their kids if they're in the room, bring them to the altar and pray. Maybe mom and dad need to come just pray together by themselves. Maybe kids, you need to go get your mom and dad. Maybe you need to come to the altar and ask for God's forgiveness or God's help. Maybe grandparents can come to the altar and pray for your grandkids. Grandparents can pray for your adult children and their parenting. You know how hard parenting is in this day and age. I, I do think that there's a level of difficulty in 2020 that there, it just wasn't in the 90s when my parents raised me. There's a level of difficulty there with the rise of technology and social media and everything else. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. If you're not a parent, boy, I would woo you to the altar today to pray for the parents. We need God's help. We need God's help. The future of our church depends on our homes. God help mom and dad. Let's use the altars today. Stand to your feet.